0: Welcome to Faith Over Breakfast. Uh, my name is Andy Littleton. I will be chewing a burrito at the beginning, so forgive me. It doesn't last too long, I promise. And I'm with Eric Seepin.
1: Yeah, me? I noticed the batteries went out on my mic, so hopefully oh. there there won't be like, I may not be in the middle of the podcast.
0: Don't worry. I think I was just, I was on a monologue. I realized you walked away, so I monologued for a bit. Yeah. Not that I wouldn't do that anyway. But anyway, Eric's uh, with the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona, which is where we are sitting. Uh, I am with Mission Church. We're going to talk about baptism, and uh, and not not just uh, I mean, kind of some practical stuff on it and some background. And I hope it I hope it is helpful and encourages you to keep thinking.
1: Yeah, it was fun.
0: All right.
1: Okay, bye bye. See you later. You. Off we go. To the face of a breakfast, this is Eric Siepen.
0: I'm sitting with
1: Andy Littleton, and he's messing with his mic, he doesn't like it at all.
0: Well, and I'm chewing a burrito, and, I'm, and the mic is uncomfortably close.
1: Well, you can put it around your neck like you used to have it. There you go, and then just pop it up a little bit more. A little bit more. There you go. You're going to wow. have to talk loud, though, if it's that low.
0: Well, okay, well, you talk for a while.
1: I'll talk for a while. Uh, so Faith Over breakfast we're doing baptism and uh, you happen to be a pastor of Mission church mm-hmm. and I am a pastor of the village
0: in here what, what so I'm, I'm, we're sitting in front of a camera we are sitting in front, it's, in front and it's of a camera recording. Not, recording. not recording and um we're in your church because you're tired of having so many steps to the uh, the uploading recording process yes so until the podcast studio that you know I've advertised but not worked on in a month. You know, comes around we're recording at your church right um i am uh, bending over a small table eating a very drippy burrito right and um and you're here looking uh quite stylish today oh okay. thank you i don't know you're just you're, oh, oh and uh somebody's calling you oh
1: my school's call, my son's school's calling me telling me he's not here even though he's going to the cardiologist so.
0: uh, you, you know <laughs> yes so, um, so, yeah, we're sitting at a church in front of a camera. I'm eating a burrito. We're talking about baptism today. Yes. And, um, yeah, why um, Why did we decide to do that? We brought it up last time. Well,
1: I think, I don't know, did we actually bring it up on the podcast last time? Yeah, because yeah, uh, you were talking about how your church doesn't announce baptisms.
0: Well, it's. it's it or how you
1: baptism. handle baptisms in your mm-hmm. church?
0: Well, yeah. you can, there's a blog on our website that. We that explains how we approach baptism and also talks about a baptism that mm-hmm. occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and there's like a little heading. So if you want to read up on it on our church website, missionchurchtucson.com, dot com, um, you can do that. I'd don't... like
1: to say that there's nothing about baptism on our website. I you. <laughs> there's, nothing about anything. there's a lot about a lot, but, a lot. No, but nothing about baptism. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Um, but it came up at, at our most recent members' meeting. You know, wins the next uh, baptism service, and I have there. I've been noticing a lot of trigger points for me of things that where I go ah, and kind of get concerned. And I, I, you know, sometimes I have to like back up and ask why that is. But this was one of those moments where I was like, I have this thing about I'm, I'm a little worried about having baptism services. Okay. Um, and, uh, so I think I maybe touched on that last point.
1: Yeah. So do we want to explore your insecurities? Do we want to talk about, uh, the theology behind baptism? We can talk about infant baptism. Like what do you want to do?
0: There's all that. Well, I mean, you bring something to the table here. You are ordained in the Christian reformed church. Yes. But you do not personally, um, Hold the view of infant baptism, though the Christian Reformed Church does. Yes. But you have performed them. Yes. So that's interesting. Right. So tell me about that. Well, because about all
1: that. Oh, okay. So let's just start with all of this. I mean, I don't want to lay out covenantal theology on this podcast, but I'll say one easy thing to understand is that people who are in the more reformed Calvinist perspective and who hold to a thing called covenant theology uh look at israel as the church and the church as israel they have these two things together so these are their covenants for instance like i think it's genesis 17 7 or something like that where god says that he's going to bless you know not just the people but the descendants of the people that so the children and so that blessing and that them being the people of God goes to the children of the church. They are also the people of God. And so in the early, so, and I'm kind of maybe butchering this, but in the old Testament, the sign of that is circumcision and in the new Testament, the sign of that is baptism. Right. And so, uh, it's a sign of being of a covenant people. Right. And so
0: if I'm not a Christian. I'm like, this is the that? weirdest
1: thing. Why? Well, I, I know because the, and, and you know, once you study it and begin to understand those kinds of things, it makes more sense to you. Right. Uh, but
0: there, there, in almost every ancient culture, there was there were there were signs that showed. I mean, you didn't have um, ID cards, right?
1: No, you didn't have ID cards.
0: And so there were there were signs, symbols that showed that you were a part of this people, and um, also when God initiates. Um, a relationship with Abraham and makes a promise to his descendants. Yes, he gives them a sign that the nations around them would have respected to some degree. It was a pretty profound one, of circumcision. Right. Um, and then we would believe that from that that lineage of Abraham, we go down to you know through the patriarchs and David and so on and so forth, all the way down to the genealogy at the beginning of the book of Matthew that shows that Jesus, born in Nazareth, is part of that lineage and thereby um, could potentially be a promised Savior that Abraham had expected and that they'd actually even expected since creation. Right. And then the question is, so... um, is he a savior just for the the Jewish people, or for more people? And in the New Testament, it seems pretty clear, even through Jesus's own ministry, that it's for people outside of Judaism. So, is there still a sign that that identifies these people of God? Jesus is baptized. Yes. His disciples go about baptizing, not circumcising. They make it pretty clear that that circumcision is no longer. Um, the the symbol, sure. For a number of reasons. So now the question is: Does baptism get applied to infants when they are born, which is the way it was before, or has something profound changed? That's, right. That's the question there.
1: Oh, and and you have Peter talking about how uh, Noah's the, the flood is a south. There's a baptism. Yep. Of, of really of everyone, I mean, of all of us in the sense, it's a salvation.
0: And baptism is in the Old Testament in in number of ways. The, in all of it's, its purification. Yeah, in the purification ritual. rituals of the temple, there's right. a washing. And so baptism is, is, by nature, symbolic of being washed, which is not brand new. It's not like John the Baptist before Jesus was like, new idea.
1: No, baptism was it was being practiced by everybody, not just Jewish people. Yeah,
0: you're right. Temple baptisms of all. It's so. It's again, God isn't doing just weird, crazy things. Um, he's doing things that coincide to human practices that people can understand.
1: Right. Not that I mean that was more concise, and obviously you've had some seminary classes to kind of really oh, work yeah, that so out. That <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think the key is that. <laughs> That descendants don't get the children don't get left out in the early covenant. They're included, right. and that's a big part of the early church's understanding and where you know infant baptism started. And I don't. Want, I mean, and,
0: and books and books have been written on this, so there's no sure. way we're going to get every nuance of the positions. Here. No,
1: no. I mean, but as early as back as Arrhenius, I mean, they're they're talking about yeah. infant baptism. It's part of the church yeah. how it played itself out, but really. When you and I, I mean, we know that the majority of the baptisms in the right. early church were adult baptisms.
0: The only clearly recorded ones yes. in the New Testament are adult baptisms.
1: Yes, and, and, and we know probably for the first, you know, couple hundred years of the church that was true because even, um, oh, what's his name, third uh, century uh, ruler of Rome, uh, Constantine, is talking about people not getting baptized until they pass away and die or right before they die in order so that they do not sin before they after they've been baptized so there's a lot of interesting things happening you gotta get your timing right but for us i mean for me like when you look at scripture and i guess the thing is even in scripture when we have the command at the end of matthew Mm -hmm. we have some examples in acts of it happening you know the ethiopian cornelius
0: there's one, to be fair, which includes a household, which right. is the one in which the infant baptism folks would say, look, if a whole household is baptized, right. that means infants. Trouble is, they don't really tell us who's right. in the household. But,
1: but it's clear from Jesus, and at least his command, that baptism is part of discipleship. Yeah. It's part of entering into the kingdom of making a proclamation. I mean, in Romans, we can kind of go through, I mean, Paul kind of lays out, what baptism is and a kind of big metaphor of going down in yeah. dying with Christ, coming back up as a new creation, those kinds of things.
0: And the, and the what people would say would be that the shift was that you entered the people of God by birth in the old covenant and before Jesus. Right. And then you enter by faith in the new covenant um, through Jesus. And I would, you know, some nuance to that would be that, anyone who would say you were born into the covenant wouldn't say you're just guaranteed to be in it forever because it's clear from the Old Testament that you could be removed. Um, so that you could... Um, in the Old Testament, it could be that if you if you didn't love the Lord your God at all and there were, you know... And, or you did something pretty egregious and high-handed against God that... Um, you know, it was like your being born in didn't seal the deal. And uh, Jesus spoke in such a way as well that, you know, he could raise up God's people out of the stones and he told Pharisees that they weren't children of God. Actually, they were children of the devil. Hmm. So he had some pretty strong words for folks who thought I was born in. And then, um, and then in the new Testament, I mean, it would also be true that just the act of baptism itself isn't, it's, it does signify something very important, but just the fact that you do it doesn't mean that,
1: well we can go to Cornelius where the spirit comes upon on them before before yeah. yeah and then they decide themselves to be baptized yep. in some ways to follow along with the Jewish custom in which they've been introduced
0: yeah and to Peter that Peter wouldn't have baptized them if he hadn't seen that right that was that's kind of a unique situation um, you know because Peter sees that they get the spirit and goes wow God's accepted them even though they're not Jewish right. Um, and then he says, we can't withhold baptism from them. Right. You don't really see that again. But um, but it also, it is a case in point that baptism isn't what saves you. Right. It is a sign.
1: It is a sign. Um, though, in my 18 years of being a pastor, over the years, with people I would meet people who are not followers of Jesus who would say things like, it seems like all my life God has been chasing me and I've been running away from God Mm -hmm. and they have little or no experience in the church growing up. One of my common questions to ask them is, Well were you baptized as an infant? And I've never had anyone say no when they give me that phrase. Because there's something unique, I think, about being given to God. Yeah. Because that's part of what's being baptized the children or the parents of the child are giving their child to God. And and marking him as gods in the kingdom of God. Which, you know, there's something about, you know, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. There's a little bit of that, that play that I don't understand.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I completely do either. But Rosaria Butterfield, he wrote Secrets of an She's... Unlikely Convert. Uh-huh. Yeah. In her book, one of the, the key moments was when a pastor... She had been raised in the Catholic Church, baptized as an infant, had gone on to be a professor of queer theory at Syracuse, and kind of had nothing to do with the faith. Um, And the pastor asked her, he said, so did you actually renounce your baptism? And it dawned on her, the question in her mind was, why haven't I? Why have I not, I, I haven't tried to. Followed God. I haven't had any interest in it, but I also never went as far as to say that wasn't real. Why not? And that question was one of the leading questions that led her to examine faith. Interesting. Which I read that. And went, really? You know, that's so. For her, the, she realized that she wasn't. She had never been ready to renounce that, and that to her was a profound question.
1: Yes. That's, that's that's pretty cool. So. I mean, uh, I, we both probably kind of rest on the fact that it is part of discipleship. It is a sign of what Christ is doing in
0: your life and has done. Yeah. And I and so here's, so here's my theory on it. So I, I wish, I mean, there's a part of me that I think baptism is sweet. I baptized two people in my ministry. That's it. And so when I get that question about having baptism services, there's a part of me that wants to say, yes, let's have baptism services. Because golly, it feels good to baptize people and say, like, these people are, are entering in. Um, but the two, the two people I baptized, one was somebody who I'd been meeting with very, very regularly who was struggling with some things and came to me and said, you know what, I think I'm really ready to, like, be baptized and say I'm committed to Jesus. Awesome. I was like, that made total sense to me. I knew this person... And um, we gathered up friends, went to mom and dad's pool, and he was baptized. Um, and then the other one was at our church. Somebody who came and said, "You know, I've been, I've been in the church for a little bit. I've been walking through this. I'm coming from a from a background of different viewpoints, but again, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm ready to say, I belong to Christ. Um, great." <clears throat> again gathered gathered friends went to Sabino Canyon uh, jumped in with a fish actually there were and uh, it was sweet it was beautiful but um, but've I feel weird and part of this comes from my what I've seen and experienced I feel weird saying to people hey we're going to have this event uh, a service and you know you can get up front and be baptized. Like, I want it to happen, I want people to want it. I want it to be because, I want people to seek it. I want right. it to be, like, I want it to happen when they come to faith or when they've waded into faith and and come to a place of, of saying, I belong to Jesus. Um, rather than a thing where people go home and go, oh, yeah, you know, I haven't been baptized. And- I think I'd like to sign up for that. Hmm. I don't know. I well, I, I guess I, I have this aversion. I, I hear it. your aversion, and I've seen what I've seen that that caused that aversion is baptism services in which everybody who hasn't been baptized is wrangled up and baptized, and you log how many baptisms were done in the church. And I really question the legitimacy.
1: Yeah, and you don't want to be that way, but I think that if you Let's t- take communion because baptism is a yeah, sacrament, communion. right? Those are the two sacraments. Right, so let's take communion. If you never offer it as a church, right. and you're just like, well, we just really want our church to want it. Like, we want people to yeah. come and say, let's have communion. Like, no, I think the same is with baptism, except I, the way the, the, the village does it.
0: The difference, though, is, is the Lord's Supper communion is meant to be perpetual, repeated. Baptism is by nature supposed to happen once.
1: Exactly, as best we can tell. As best we can tell. <laughs> but um, it's still, like you know, but that, or with or at communion, there's bread and wine. It's easy. It's accessible, right? Mm-hmm. Water <laughs> in the desert, <laughs> right. right? In Certain parts of the
0: Middle East where these books were written, <laughs> right? There were not flowing streams yes. and, and uh, local pools.
1: So my thing at our, our church is that we don't <laughs> offer a baptism service um in the sense that we will always offer one a year in the sense Easter because yeah. Easter seems to be the m- moment when you can stand up and say I stand with Jesus and his resurrection and it's a, but we usually allow this to happen by someone saying I want to be baptized and then we take that as God saying you should ask your congregation if there are anyone else who would like to be baptized, because this person is when, making this when proclamation, somebody asks you. right? Then and we I, open it to the community.
0: And I think I'm I'm more like going along with you know, what you see in the Book of Acts for the, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? It's like he. He's engaging the scriptures. The gospels explained to him. Believes they go find water. Right. And the whole like sprinkling versus dunking debate, I think, is a bit debunked by the fact that in the ancient like Middle East, like there, yeah, maybe you found a super deep pool, but it, I mean, but even did you in,
1: want to dirty it with your body? Right.
0: But I, <laughs> yes, I, I have a it. feeling that there were times in which, you know, they uh, there was a body of water and they went out there and baptized him, and other times there was a a little cistern in a house, and they use that. That's, I'm assuming from the lack of bodies of water in the area that that's probable, right?
1: Yes, I would agree.
0: But, I mean, that that Ethiopian is they find water, they baptize in there. Cornelius sees the profound thing that happens in the jail, believes, goes home, tells his family they're baptized. So I'm kind of going off of that. But you could be going off the Cornelius thing, too, and saying... Cornelius was, uh, you know, he heard and then he went and gathered others. It happened to be his family at the time. And they were baptized with him.
1: Right. Or you could just go with John the Baptist who made Publicly. baptism available yeah. and people went to it. Right.
0: Yeah. So. Well, but his, um, it was baptism a different of baptism of repentance and it... Forgiveness of sins. Yes. Yeah. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. But it was... Um, the path forward to that was not, hey, uh, John, John here, we're having a baptism Sunday. Right. It was, uh, you brood of vipers who told you to flee the coming wrath, and and if one of you happened to listen, then you could come down and be baptized. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. Should, we could practice it that way. I, you know, we could have a baptism Sunday where i get up and rail on all the hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I, I, here's the thing. I was, at the village, we do it a little differently. I grew up in the church seeing the baptisms where you tell your testimony. Yeah. We don't do testimonies. Because I mean, if somebody really would like to say something, we allow them to say something. But what way we do baptism is very is with the ancient a more ancient way in that it's a proclamation of the Apostles' Creed and a declaration of an allegiance to Jesus and a commitment to being against the enemy. Yeah. And so it in a way is very royal. It's yeah. like kind of, you know, entering in as a, yeah. ki- a prince or a princess or a king, a son or a daughter, you're making this kind of proclamation of what you now believe and where you stand yeah. publicly. Yeah. And I think that's a lot more powerful. Like, I just would watch, and the testimonies are great, but a lot of times the testimonies you're like, well, okay, that's a, that's really cool God did those things, but it's not... It doesn't feel the same as a proclamation to me, yeah. like having a baptismal creed that you must, you know.
0: Oh, that's cool. I, I like hearing how different people do it. Epicenter before we merged with them, um, it was a bowing into the water. That was different. Okay, that was interesting. Um, that you know, there's symbolism behind that, and yeah, I, I find all that interesting. And I'm, I guess I should say, like af- after that members' meeting. I didn't come I I kind of came out going, you know what? We probably need to offer baptism more than we do cuz um because we haven't had services if you were interested, you just had to bring it up yourself. Right. So I have and a question. So okay, go ahead. I was I mean, I did come away thinking uh we should probably put it out there. Yeah. More often.
1: Yeah. So m- mom and dad come to you with their 8-year-old. Right. And they say Look, little Johnny has professed faith. He's, you know, in a more traditional sense, he's asked Jesus into his heart. He believes in God. He wants to make a proclamation. And we'd like to baptize him.
0: I would tell him the age of accountability is eight and a half, so you have to wait six
1: months.
0: (laughs) That's a joke. No, That should be unpacked, because that's in the Baptist world. When do you decide to baptize somebody? There's been a bunch of nebulous numbers put out there of right. age of accountability that I think is kind of silly. Like, how, like we know at somebody's eighth or ninth birthday or whatever it is that all of a sudden they're accountable before God they weren't before. Like, right. What did you not discipline this kid before this? Like, right. So that's interesting. I think that's a little. Weird.
1: Well, it's probably like the capacity to confess and understand one's own sin is what they're trying to deal yeah, with. Yeah,
0: and then but then every kid is different on that. And then sure. are you going to wait till the frontal lobes developed for a male until they're 25 to right. they decide that they can actually process <laughs> all You can't be baptized
1: until you're 25. Yeah, I mean <laughs> well, I think that's why, you know, in the early church they were baptism of infants was in some ways a proof of original sin. Right. Like that they needed the sign in order to be into the kingdom because they didn't have the capacity to repent. Yeah. And, and believe.
0: The, and the idea is, you know, I mean what, what what people are wrestling through is like, does this mean that up until that point the kid is saved up until they're accountable or not saved? Uh
1: you well, know, and
0: uh, I mean, some people are thinking about this.
1: There's some stuff in Corinthians that indicates that there is a, a, an umbrella a covering, of, of, yeah, uh, yeah a covering, and we don't know exactly if that's a covering of salvation, a covering of the spirit. We not,
0: but something like when this, when these children are dependent on their parents, and their parents are in the faith, that they're that their faith is somehow applicable to their kid, right. And uh, and there's something about that that makes some real sense to me. I know in the Baptist world, that's like anathema. Like, you know, that's not accountability. But I I mean, isn't that how it works in every other aspect of the kid's life?
1: Yes. So what do you say to the mom and dad with the eight-year-old? After you've interviewed, he Uh, seems to answer the questions very clearly. He seems to have a grasp of sin and what Jesus has done and... mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, so I mean, the on all of this, I have, I guess, what I've adopted is a position of I understand the different positions, and I think parents can, like, in a way, decide for themselves. Like, is how I've sort of, like, if I feel like I could sit down with somebody and say, hey here's how some people view this. They view this as a, as a covenant and the child is under the covenant and that baptism is a sign of that covenant that the child can, can legitimately someday say no. Um, but for now it's that they're in the covenant because of your faith and you could apply that sign. That's how some people understand it. Other people understand it as something that happens at the time you make a credible profession of faith. Mm -hmm. And the hard part is knowing when that is. And, um, and I, I land a little more toward that because I, I do feel like that's what the New Testament bears out. But I also don't believe baptism saves you. I think it's the, like when you take the sign up on yourself, since it's now applied to not just men, as circumcision was, but to men and women, not just Israelites, but people of all different nations. That, that you know, those because it's a worldwide sign, it can no longer be just... You know, given through birth so that that's sort of how I view it and and, and a lot of people view it that way too but you know I, I think I would tell the parent like if you if you think this is like if you really believe your kid like he's saying this he wants this but if you're trying to cover his butt from hell by getting him baptized quick as the wrong reason right because like he is protected in Christ by faith not by this act. Um, and so, so if he, but if he's saying, "Mom, Dad, I believe this. I, w- I want to be baptized," then yeah, let's do it. I think that's how I would work it out. I would, and I would, I would say, "You discern this for your for your family. I will guide in that. I will be involved in that. I will help you." Um, and I, I'm sure there's a, a lot of churches out there and pastors out there who are just going like, "Oh my gosh, you're wishy washy, and this is sad." But I think these are very credible positions that have been held all throughout the history of the church on both sides and I'm not ready to break fellowship with somebody and tell them they, they can't practice what, they're, what they believe from the scriptures on this. Um, right. That's, that's so, where I'm at.
1: So, next question. Yeah. Uh, so.
0: Well, how would you answer that question?
1: Well, the way we all, I like you answered it, I, I think that we emphasize the parents' responsibility for their yeah. children, and our job is to walk alongside them and right. inform them and help them think that through. Uh, one of the things that I think in this day and age is just pretty remarkable, in which I had had it in my time, was the capacity to video your baptism. Yeah. Um, because it's something that I don't, I got baptized as a freshman in high school. All I remember of that is sticking my toes in the water. And after that, I've forgotten everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because just because the water was cold, that's the only reason. <laughs> Yeah, it was, I, got,
0: I got baptized probably in middle school at Victory Assembly of God, which the baptismal was like way up in the wall, mm-hmm. and the only memory I have is a vague memory of looking out from way up there and being like, "Whoa, there's a lot of people." <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember anything else. Right.
1: And so, like, yeah, the videoing of it. I yeah. also think that like we really do ours in community. So I mean, yeah. even this in our Sanctuary, the, the, the baptism was like right yeah. in there with everybody, yeah. and so it's sort of a it's a way of the family baptizing a child together. So we we let we've baptized lots of kids, but it's video. My kids, but the thing that we I do personally, and I encourage people in our church to do, but that's not something that many of them have stepped into is that I don't allow I didn't allow our kids to take communion mm-hmm. until they had been baptized because I didn't want them taking the body and the blood on them without them making a proclamation that this is where they belonged. You know, they could be followers of Jesus, but it is important in my mind for them to state that to everybody if they were going to make the statement publicly by taking the bread and the wine. Mm. So, you know, I mean, I'm okay if somebody, if the family allows their children to take communion together and it's a family thing and that's, you know, there's a lot of, I'm pretty low church when it comes to communion. Um, so we we don't fence the table like m- many reformed people do, but
0: um... yeah, we we do, but but not well, it, by fence the table. What we mean by that is draw clear parameters of who can and can't. Yes, we do. We, we do that, and we and I think yeah, we we say if you believe this, you know, sometimes we'll. We'll tack on, you know, if there is something you need to work out from somebody, the Bible says, or with somebody, the Bible says you should work that out before you come. Um, you know, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll even make the the addendum where I'll say, like, this is for those of you who believe. But if you are struggling in faith, but you, if there is even just a mustard seed, just a little tiny bit of faith, like you can come and yeah. and stand on that. You don't have to come up here with perfect faith,
1: right? You know, we even say, like, hey, this is a, a special place. For people who actually make this proclamation, yeah. we, we ask that you not if that's not something you can oh, okay.
0: do. And but, to me, that's that's a that's fencing the table. Right. But for some people, it would be like some people would be, go as far to say you have to be a good standing member of this church. to come Right. And so on and so forth.
1: And you know, children aren't allowed
0: at right. the table. Right. And Which, I guess, I, and I don't. I here's what I've assumed, and I, you know, I'd be happy for somebody to email me and debunk everything but um I've assumed that because in the early church um, the Lord's Supper was a big meal it was a big meal mm-hmm. and there was the bread and the wine at the table um, and so and it seems like dipping your bread in the juice wasn't merely a religious thing it was something that you also just did Yes. Yeah. And it it seems that what Jesus was doing was taking the everyday table activity and saying every time that you do this every single day or very, very regularly, remember me in this everyday activity. I'm the bread of life. I am the, is my blood that's shed. And so it's like, it's hard for me to imagine that, you know, at that time, children began to be banned from eating bread and wine with the family when they gathered on the Lord's Day. Right. I, I don't know.
1: I don't think they were. But I mean,
0: but but was the depth of significance? You know, I don't know. I don't know how that works.
1: I mean, I think we can make some assumptions as modern people about how people ate together and did things, and we can read history. But honestly, when you start looking at what's going on with Jesus, where homes are getting invaded just because he's there, right? Or how how the whole dynamic of. You know, I think more communal living—it's—it's it, it's very foreign to us. So it's how they operate, a lot of ways, it's not parallel. Yeah. So how they operate at the table is completely <laughs> right. like they probably come in here and look at what we're doing, especially the first oh, century, yeah. and century and second century, and be like, "What
0: strange.
1: on earth is happening?" Here? Yeah, you got this
0: little bread and wine thing <laughs> up on a little table up front. This is the, this, this is so weird. Yes, yeah, totally. They would probably they probably wouldn't be able to handle it. Like, they would probably just be like, this is all such utter heresy. (laughs) It's terrible. (laughs) And they might be wrong, but it would have been just so jarring and odd. And then imagine them going into a megachurch where a bunch of strobing lights come on and a guy with a guitar comes up and goes, all right, everybody, on your feet, hands together. Let's praise the Lord. (laughs) They would just be like, ah, (laughs) what?
1: Yeah, it would certainly be. I think their services on Sunday mornings, before they went off to work, because it wasn't a special day for them, yeah. were short. They, they probably had a quick bite to eat. They sang together, and they went off to do whatever they were going to do.
0: So you don't think that they moved from resting on the Sabbath to resting on the Lord's Day? You think they still rested on Saturday and then celebrated together over a meal? Well, and from
1: what I know to... from history, like. I know what I've no, read. Never thought
0: about
1: that. the The earliest reports of the early church from Roman perspective is that that's what they were doing. Yeah. Because the day wasn't taken off for them because it wasn't a special Structurally, day. Structurally, it wasn't yeah. a day off. Just for the Romans. Yeah. The Jews had theirs, you know, figured out.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: They managed to do that with the Romans for a while, yeah. anyway. But... Yeah. I don't know, but that's a, that's an interesting podcast. Probably a little insider, and but it's a good podcast on baptism and communion.
0: Yeah, good thing that only people who listen to our podcast are insiders. Yeah. So there you go. No, maybe not true. Actually, I hope it's not true. I hope that um, I hope it was informative, helpful. Yeah. Again, we uh, we aren't trying to be the Bible answer guys. We do not bring, we do not read before we do this. We do not bring Bibles to quote. What we want, the, the premise of this podcast is you get to hear two pastors just talking about stuff. Right. That's, uh, there are plenty of podcasts out there where you can hear Christian leaders who are very good and respectable um, sure. teach you something. Yeah. We're, we're just trying to invite you into our conversation. Right.
1: Like, and Piper has a good, like, he does, what, yeah. eight to 15 minute answers to particular questions. To questions. And they're really good answers. Yeah. And, and, he, and nine, he
0: puts work into them. He doesn't just walk in and make it up. Right. Um. Nine we, times we kinda, out of ten,
1: those answers are like, you yeah. should listen to them and write it down.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But uh, but our, the premise of this was it might be uh, it might be interesting for people in the church and maybe some out of the church to hear pastors just talking about yeah. about uh, things that that come up or ways they think things through. Uh, so that's what this is. So thanks for hanging out with us for it. Yep. And uh, we'll do it again next week. I think.